Scripture reading comes from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Good evening. Uh, I'm, all right. I'm sure that you're... All excited after Kent's ringing endorsement of me, the uh, excuse me, the uh, the childish youth minister, evidently. Um, so you can look forward to that, I guess. Uh, I sympathize with Kent because once you say something wrong up here, there's no reeling it back in. You just got to go with it. So um, I do appreciate that. Uh, tonight we aren't in a series. Um, we've wrapped up our series for. 2011, and we're not going to start a series until uh, the next coming weeks. And so, uh, Randy gave me the opportunity to speak on a topic of my choice, which is both a blessing and a curse, uh, because um, a blessing because I get to choose something that maybe is on my heart, but a curse because that's a big Bible. And so, uh, take a shot. Um, This evening, we are going to talk about God, which seems like a, a pretty good topic to choose. Um, We're going to talk about God and his love for us. Uh, I hope you caught the theme through Jeff's uh, song choice that God loves us desperately. He wants relationship with us, and hopefully we'll experience that this evening. We're going to be talking about a familiar story. It's one that you've heard many times, but hopefully we can talk about it in a little different way. Um, I heard this idea of prodigal God a little while back, and it stuck with me, and I hope that it will... Uh, stick with you as well, that you'll spend some time wrestling with God and his love for you. We're going to look at the parable of the prodigal son, and it's often been called uh, the prodigal son or the parable of the lost sons, multiple. Um, That is probably a more accurate description because we do have two sons, and they're both um, not in their father's will. They're both doing something wrong, so they're both lost We'll get to that in just a minute. Let's set the context for uh, this parable first. Uh, If you would, turn to Luke 15. That's where we're going to camp out this evening. I hope that you've brought your Bibles and you can follow along with the text in front of you. If not, we'll have it on the screen. We'll start in verse 1 through 3. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him, to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Jesus is doing something that uh, is completely wrong in the eyes of the Pharisees. To eat with someone is, is to accept someone. By eating with tax collectors and sinners, this allegedly religious man, Jesus, is accepting people that are known as sinners. What are you supposed to do with that? And the Pharisees don't, don't know what to do with that. And they look at him and say, Ew, this man eats with 
tax collectors and sinners. Uh, he can't be a religious person. And so whenever Jesus hears that, he's going to give us three parables about lost things in response to that. We do have, again, two groups that are listening to this story, and, and they'll be fleshed out by the two brothers in this story. We have the sinners and the tax collectors. They'll be the younger brother. And then we have the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. They'll be represented by our, our oldest brother. Let's, uh, let's start by treating the younger brother. We'll look at his story. It's in 11 through 16. Again, this is the tax collectors and sinners, the ones that are labeled outside of God and, and outside of religion. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country of that country who sent him to to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. I wish we could have seen uh, the faces of the audience whenever Jesus starts into this story. They would have been in shock. To start off with, we see a man and he has two sons. Sounds like a nice start to a story, but the request at the beginning would have floored the audience. The younger son asks for his share of the inheritance. Now, it is customary uh, for Jews, whenever the head of the household passes away, he splits up his, um, all of his assets and it's distributed to his sons, and the oldest son gets a double portion. So we have two sons here. The oldest son is going to get two-thirds. The youngest son will get one-third. The problem is, that's supposed to happen after he dies, not while he's alive. Um, Incredibly offensive to ask for his share of the inheritance before his father's death. Uh, That would be, that's offensive today. (laughs) Hopefully, uh, none of you have asked for an inheritance before your loved one has passed away. Uh, You're likely to lose that inheritance. Um, That's what happens here. It's incredibly offensive. But he asks for this inheritance. And by doing so, he's basically saying to his father, it would be better for me if you were dead. I don't want you. I just want your stuff. I want your blessings. Relationship with you doesn't matter to me. I just want what I I view as mine. It's due to me, so I want it. Again, Jesus' Jesus's audience would have been very surprised at this. They would have been even more surprised that the father doesn't kick him out of the family. Instead, the father gives him what he asked for. He blesses him, allows him to go, and we see what happens there. The son is referred to so often as prodigal. We um, have thrown that term around plenty, and I'll be the first to admit I did not know the definition of that word outside of this story. This story has defined what I understand the word prodigal to mean. And so, uh, fortunately for us, the dictionary does treat the word prodigal, and it defines it in two ways. 
recklessly extravagant, and having spent everything. Whenever we look at our younger son, our younger brother, we see he is clearly recklessly extravagant. He goes and spends everything that his father has entrusted to him, and he does so in a very short period of time. He spends it all. So he meets both criteria. Recklessly extravagant, spend everything. We see him reach rock bottom, and, and as rock bottom as it can get for a Jew. He is feeding pigs at, for a living. For a Jew to, to be around pigs, they're unclean, completely unclean. It, it messes with the way that you actually can worship. You're, you are considered unclean. You have to go through washings and things like that. To long for what the pigs are eating, uh, that's just, that's disgusting. It is disgusting today. It, it would have been deplorable then. For a person to say that that's where they're at, uh, it, the audience knows it gets no lower than this. Fortunately for this son, and fortunately for us, he comes to his wits, he comes to his, uh, his senses, and says, life would be better for me if I returned to my father. And so, he does. Let's continue reading in 17. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, And you've got to think about how difficult this is going to be for this son. He's going to have to go back to his father who he said, I wish you were dead. What am I going to say that's going to have him take me back? And so you know he's, he has poured over these words. He has spent a lot of time trying to decide, how am I going to say this in a way that my father will let me come back? I don't need to be his son again. Just let me be a servant. And so he pours so much into this, and he decides this is how he's going to say it. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. If you're the son, that's not what you saw coming. And you see, he, he's going to be flustered. He's, he doesn't know what to do with that. He's expecting a reprimand, and instead he gets a kiss. And he, you can tell he doesn't know what to do, and so he starts in, into his spiel that he's prepared and he's been thinking about. He says, um, the son said to the father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. He's, he's going to keep going. Can I be a hired hand in your, in your household? But the father won't let him. He cuts him off. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. To start off, Jesus' audience would have been upset with the younger son, naturally. Um, but now they're just confused. The right response and the expected response for the father 
uh, whenever a son returns after such a disgrace, would be to say, you're not welcome in my house. You've wronged me. You've disgraced me. Don't come back. It would have been viewed as incredibly merciful to allow him to be a servant in his house. And so the Pharisees would have looked at that and said, okay, if he were to allow that man, that would be showing some extreme grace. But instead, we see a father who runs to his son. He can't wait to be back with his son. And and dignitaries don't run. When was the last time you saw the president run? When was the last time you saw people of importance run? They don't. They don't have that kind of urgency. They can't be portrayed as that urgent. Everything is measured. But instead, we see this father take off. He wants to be with his son. He wants relationship with this son who was gone. And now he has it. We see him call for the best robe in the house, which would have been his own robe. That robe is put on him. They have a ring placed on his finger, new shoes on his feet, and the father says, now we're going to party. We're going to make sure that people celebrate this time. In fact, the whole town would have been invited. That's what you reserve the fattened calf for. You don't eat a lot of meat in this culture to... Kill the fattened calf means everybody's coming. The whole town is going to be there to celebrate with music and dancing to reinstate this son. And that's what was happening. Reinstatement. This son isn't just back as a servant. He's an heir again. He's back in full standing. We'll see in a minute that the older brother has already done the math in his head. If I was supposed to get two-thirds, he comes back, and he's going to get a portion again, you've cut into my, my cut. That's what I deserve. He doesn't deserve to get this piece again, but that's what the Father offers. You're a full heir. You're back under me, and you receive every bit of my blessing again. Not on your own merit, but because I love you. The moral of this story often for us, and and the application often is, if you find yourself as the prodigal son, if you find yourself away, not doing what God would call you to do, return and he'll accept you back. And that that is a great application. But that's only half of our story. Let's look at the other half. We still have an older brother to attend to, and, and you might find yourself a little bit in the younger brother, but you might also find... Your heart might be towards the older brother as well. Again, this is to represent the Pharisees in our story and and in Jesus' audience. Picking up in verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, and this is incredibly stern. He's sending a message. He's letting the father have a piece of his mind. 
Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a goat, even a young goat, so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, if you would even consider him a son, when this son of yours, uh, excuse me, I lost my spot. Uh, when this son of yours uh, returns, the answer is fine. Okay, young goat. Uh, the son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home. You kill the fattened calf for him. This doesn't compute. And the father says, my son, the father says, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Now, allegedly, this is our faithful brother, we have the unfaithful brother who leaves, and we have the faithful brother who stands by his father's side, right? Not quiet. We might find that his heart is in the exact same place as his younger brother's. By choosing not to attend this feast, he's not only showing um, distaste and not only insulting his brother, but he's insulting his father as well. If you're going to kill the fattened calf and, and invite the whole town, likely this is going to be the biggest event that this father ever hosts. As far as publicly, this is whenever he is most out there. To have a son that chooses not to attend because he doesn't agree is embarrassing. And, and even more embarrassing, he has to go out to his son and plead with him, please come in, please celebrate with me. Please share what I care about. Please care what I care about. But it's clear that they're not on the same page. It's clear that, that this older son doesn't, doesn't love the father any more than the younger brother did. The older brother is what we would term self-righteous and emphasize self-righteous. The older brother has done everything that the father asked, but he does so out of obligation. He does so because he is supposed to. He doesn't want to do the things he's supposed to. He does them because he wants to force the Father's hand. In a way, he's being manipulative. If I do everything that I'm supposed to, my Father will have no other choice than to bless me. That's the thought of this older brother. If I do everything that I'm supposed to, my Father has to give me what I'm entitled to. Now, remember, we're talking about the Pharisees here. These were people that knew every single line in the law. They tried to carry it out like a checklist. They added their own rules to make sure that they weren't even getting close to it. They had lost sight of the bigger, pe the bigger picture. The purpose of the law was relationship with God. It wasn't trying to earn your way to heaven. And that's where the Pharisees find themselves. That's where their heart is at. And that's where this older brother is representing. They're doing everything that they're supposed to. But they're doing it with a heart that says, I'm doing it out of obligation. Not because I love God or because I care about the things he cares about. Now while I have younger brother moments where I leave God and, and don't do his will, I also have moments where I am like this older brother. 
where I'm, I'm doing everything I am supposed to. I'm working through my checklist of Christianity, what it means to be in relationship with God in my mind. And I do everything. I'm able to check the list off. But in the end, if I'm not wanting relationship with God, if I'm just wanting his blessings, then I'm no better off than the Pharisees or this older brother. We have to guard ourselves against just doing things because we are supposed to. We have to live as Christians because we share the heart of God. We share the passions that he has. That's where this older brother falls short. The story of the older brother ends abruptly. It just stops. We never see what his response is to his father's invitation. It just ends. And I think that's on purpose. I think Jesus stopped there to offer an invitation to these Pharisees. You are welcome at my father's table if you will choose relationship with him rather than your self-justifying judgmental ways. And he leaves it at that. And we know that some Pharisees do choose to follow Christ and, and to accept relationship and then some don't. But the invitation is out there. You can always return. Again, it's, it's appropriate to place ourselves in the shoes of one of those brothers. That is often the application, and, and that's, that's great. Um, it, it speaks a lot to our relationship with God. But, I, I need to say this delicately, when we are constantly reading the Bible and trying to insert ourselves we run the risk of being an older brother. If we are constantly looking, what am I supposed to do? We can run the risk of making our own checklist. And I'm not saying that doing that with this text is, is wrong. I think it's, again, it's absolutely appropriate to um, look at that. But if we're constantly trying to insert ourselves, we can miss the bigger picture. And the bigger picture is that we have a God that loves us. And that's, that's the message of our Bible. That's the message of our gospel, is that we have a God who runs to us. Timothy Keller wrote a book entitled The Prodigal God. And he contends that this story is not about a son who runs away, a son who chooses to leave and then return. He also says this story is not about a brother who didn't leave but doesn't love his father. He says the story is about a prodigal God. If you're like me, that's uncomfortable to say that. Prodigal has always taken on a negative connotation, mainly because I've associated it with this brother who did something wrong. But let's look back at our definition of prodigal. One being recklessly extravagant, and two, having spent everything. If we look at our father in the story, he is reckless in the way that he blesses his son. It doesn't make sense for him to give him those assets and allow him to go spend them. That's reckless. He's extravagant in the way that he invites him back and celebrates his return. He spares no cost in order to celebrate 
his son. We would look at the father in this story and say he is prodigal. He's recklessly extravagant and he's willing to spend anything. He has spent everything. If it fits this father in this story, does it fit our understanding of who our heavenly father is? God, is he prodigal? And I would say absolutely. I think that is an excellent understanding of this scripture. God is recklessly extravagant in the way that he blesses us. It does not make sense in our understanding that God would would bless us whenever he knows we're going to fail. Why does God accept us back every time we mess up? If it was a normal relationship, an earthly relationship that we're, we're used to seeing, and somebody wronged someone else that many times, we would say, get out of that relationship. But instead, God continues to bless, and then we fail. And then he takes us back, fully reinstating us. And then we fail. And then what happens? He accepts, accepts us back again. We would look at that and call that reckless. But that's just because we don't understand God's love. God's not reckless. He loves us. And that's how he fleshes out that love. By our terms, he is recklessly extravagant in the way that he blesses us. And the second part of that definition was having spent everything. If you want evidence that God spent everything to be in relationship with you, we don't need to look any farther than the cross. He sent his only son to die on the cross in your place and in my place so that he could have relationship with us. God has spared no expense to be in relationship with you for eternity. I think we could look at our God and say he is both recklessly extravagant and he has spent everything to be in relationship with us. And I'm glad to say that we serve a prodigal God. That is such a blessing. My prayer, and again, this is our, my hope is that in 2012, I just wanted to give us a thought going forward that we could live in light of the fact that our God loves us in this manner. He wants relationship with you so bad. He's not a distant God that is waiting to bring the hammer down whenever you mess up. He's a God that, that wants to run to you whenever you return. That's the God that we serve. No matter how low 2011 was for you, it can get better as long as you will turn to your Father. And no matter how low 2012 gets, I promise you it will be better if you will turn and desire a relationship with the Father. So, will you live in light of that fact? Will you be in a relationship with God, not out of obligation, but do so because you want relationship, because you love Him, because you want to love the things that He loves? That's what a relationship with God looks like. And you can trust that whenever you fail, and you will, that he'll accept you back, reinstate you fully as an heir, and love you in a way that we can't fathom.
tonight, if you find yourself in the shoes of, of one of those brothers, you've, you've done wrong and you've run from God and, and need to find a place back in his will, we would love to, to pray for you this evening. Maybe you're like the older brother and you haven't left necessarily, but your heart isn't in the right place. If that's true, we'd love to pray for you as well. Or maybe you haven't even started this journey with this prodigal God that does love you desperately. If that's true, we'd love to baptize you this evening and start that journey. Whatever it is, I pray that you would come forward and experience our prodigal God's love as we stand and sing.